0: Well, hello everyone. Welcome back. My name is Doug Ober and I'm the creator of the Global Migration Podcast. And I'm really excited to join you here today and launch the first episode of our second season. So for those of you who haven't been with us since the beginning, this last summer, we kicked off the first season of the podcast with a focus on the way that the global pandemic was impacting and ultimately reshaping global migration systems and experiences. And For that season, we looked at everything from the plight of temporary foreign workers, the politics of inequality, the changing face of international education, and really much, much more. But since the last episode ended back in August, there have been a lot of changes for all of us across this globe. A lot of changes in terms of global migration and the pandemic, but also a lot of changes here at our home institution of the University of British Columbia. So back then we were coming together as the UBC migration research excellence cluster, but this past fall, the research cluster was formally institutionalized as everyone likes to say, as the UBC center for migration studies. And there's gonna be a lot of exciting changes in the next few months and years, but I just wanted to remind everyone you know, that our commitment to advancing our understanding of migration really remains unchanged as does our dedication to forging new connections across disciplinary and institutional boundaries. We're thankful to all of you for your guidance, for your inspiration, for listening to this podcast, for participating in our events these past three years. years—you know, Without your support, none of this would really feel so rich. Now, another big change that we're excited to announce is the launch of the second season of the Goal of Migration podcast. And this season, we're moving the focus to take a more in-depth look and firsthand account of what it means to be a newcomer in Canada. And with that, we're also being joined by a new host, Mohamed Al Saleh, who is joining us today and who will be joining you every episode of the second season. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, Mohammed, and perhaps a little bit about the second season? Thank you so much, Doug, for the introduction. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today.
1: As mentioned by Doug, this season two is coming with first-hand accounts of newcomer stories to Canada. The first one today we are going to hear from the team behind these stories. We are going to host Dr. Amia Wilber, Raymond Teneker, and Zahid Rahamtullah, who are the core team behind the stories. Episode one will tell us about how these three exemplary women worked together for the past year or so to bring together newcomers for workshops of writing stories. These stories are put together in a book that's to be published soon. But for our podcast, we're going to have a selection of these stories to be shared with you throughout the next few months. Now, this year is starting in a good note. Personally, I am happy because we have promises of this end of the pandemic, but also a lot of changes in the global political atmosphere that I'm also excited about. I will be joining you personally every episode to welcome you and to chat with the hosts. My name is Mohamed Saleh. I am a proud Canadian that is a newcomer myself. I came to Canada in late 2014 as part of the first wave of Syrian refugees that came to Canada. Oh my God. When I first came here, I didn't even speak English. I couldn't even dare to think. That one day I would be speaking this fluent and would be the host of a podcast that shares stories of resilience, stories of extraordinary willingness to survive and stories of Canada and how beautiful Canada is.
0: Thanks so much, Mohamed, it's it's such a pleasure to have you here and you know we're honored and we're really excited and you know I think all the stories that you're going to be kind of showcasing over the next few months are just so compelling and I'm really hopeful that they're going to challenge us to all think differently and kind of more deeply about the Canadian immigration landscape and, and really the global migration landscape more broadly.
1: Well, I'd like to start by thanking you all for joining me today and to thank everybody who's tuning in to listen to us. Today, we're going to have an introductory episode. The title is stories about gathering stories, about helping people tell stories, and I'm very excited about this as it will help us get to know you and get to know your work. Your work is going to be later, it's all the stories that we're going to enjoy, but today, I want you to tell me about how did this come to happen and how did this started in your imagination, three exemplary women that are known for their work in settlement or in writing or in academic work in universities. You guys, as I understood, had conversation about an idea that's going to help transform these stories from a written form to another medium. This is coming as a subsequent season two podcast. And I think it's appropriate here to thank UBC for their sponsorship and support in helping this project come to the podcast medium and be something that our listeners could listen to and brighten their 2021 up. And now we want you guys to cheer us up and tell us about this project and the next coming weeks and all the stories we're going to hear. Amya. Sure, so um,
2: thanks so much, Mohammed. And I'm so glad that you're here too. And maybe we'll get an opportunity to hear a little bit about how you got involved in this project and your story as well as we move on. So I was actually brought into this project by Raymond and she'll talk a little bit about how that happened. But just to give you a bit of background, I worked in the settlement sector for about 20 years and now assistant professor at the University of the Fraser Valley. And one of the things that I've always felt is really important in my work is to engage with people and to share stories. I think I grew up in a small town in Ontario and lots of people didn't have experiences with refugees and there wasn't a lot of newcomers in the community that I grew up in. And I think that it's really important to reflect the diversity and some of the uniqueness of each person's journey here to Canada and to really look at the complexities of what brings people here, what happens when they arrive. You know, we think about housing, education, a sense of belonging, healthcare, all of these different processes that happen and settling here in Canada and we are a country of immigrants and settlers and built on indigenous lands. So I think it's important to really recognize kind of shifting, you talked about populism. I think we also need to shift this dominant narrative that what it means to be Canadian and what it means to be a newcomer to Canada and some challenge some of those ideas that have dominated, you know, say the media or other forms policies to kind of look at what it means to be Canada and what it means to be living in Canada as Canadians so yeah and we're also in the midst of a global pandemic and we see how people have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic and you know see experience of systemic racism of gender discrimination poor working conditions and so to kind of bring forth some of these ideas to kind of challenge people's ways of thinking of being and being part of a society so when Raymond approached me about this project I was really excited because again having worked with newcomers for many years I felt like yeah it's really important to show the diversity of people's experiences and writing and podcasts are one way to do that and to broaden it out to the, to the larger community and also to educators and other academics so that people have a broader understanding.
1: Thank you so much, Amia. I think it's really important to recognize uh, the importance of the narratives that are being put out there. Now, here in Canada, we are very proud to say that we are a country of immigrants and that, relatively speaking, And considering the alternatives and the other examples that are happening in the world, we are doing good. And we are, despite all the challenges, doing work that is the exact opposite of our neighbors, for example. When I came to Canada in 2014, and later on, I had the opportunity to welcome my family, who joined me here later three or four years after that in 2018. The rest of the world was doing the exact opposite in America and the United States. A ban was instituted on citizens of countries where I, like my country of my birth, Syria, for example. And I can find so many other examples to come back to my point and ask you, Raymond, why are we doing this?
3: Well, that's a really macro question, I think, Mohammed, and I think I have a micro answer. I've been teaching language acquisition studies to students all over the world for about 20 years. But I think it was in 1990 when my family and I were in the Emirates just before Iraq invaded Kuwait. And I had never encountered political spectrums that I discovered there from so many different angles. We were working with all kinds of people and listening to different kinds of news not just CNN, I think it was a real awakening for me of a larger global lens of issues that were going on. And I started teaching at a language school in Dubai called the Polyglot Language Institute. And that sounds very glamorous, but it was just a hole in the wall school run by a Scottish woman and her Lebanese husband. And they were inviting Somalian, women who were refugees at the time. There was a huge Somalian diaspora in the Middle East. And I was teaching this classroom of Somalian women who had several languages, but did not have a huge acquisition of English. And it was the first time I had ever encountered refugees and started to understand the impacts of what that was like. And I think so. I think from that point of view, when we came back to Canada in 1993, I thought I want to teach language to refugees, immigrants, local people, international students, and help them get their life on track. Well, that idea sort of got buried for 20 or more years just because of busyness, I think, you know. And it wasn't until I met a young man named Mujahidin Bakani, who was a student of mine in the TESOL program at the University of the Fraser Valley, and he and I became more than just you know teacher student. We connected on LinkedIn, and he had been in my class in 2015, and in 2019 he contacted me on LinkedIn and said, hey, you want to go for coffee? And I said, sure, because I love connecting with students and hearing their stories and helping them move forward. And so we met for coffee and we were catching up with our lives and I asked him, you know how you do when you're talking with people, especially from countries that are so social, like we tend to get right to the point as North Americans, but, (laughs) you know, Muhi and I were talking about his family, and I said, so how's your family? And I didn't know anything about them. I just was curious. And so he started telling me about how his wife was having some difficulty settling and adjusting, and I said, oh why? Well, you know, she spent almost two years in a prison in uh, Egypt when we fled the Sudan, and she and the children were both in prison, in this women's prison, and I had fled from Egypt to Israel, and she's still struggling with that, and I thought, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea what he had brought into my classroom, and so (laughs) You know, I looked at him and I said, "This is an important story about settlement and what's going on with you and how you've struggled to get established." I said, "You need to write a book." And of course, he looked at me sort of wistfully and said, "Hmm, someday." I mean, I could just see—like he had so much on his plate—it was a ridiculous suggestion. But at the same time, he said, "You know, someday I hope to be able to." to write these stories down. So anyway, I, I had written a chapter in a book that, a couple of years before that, that Dr. Mary-Jean Sodali from UFE had edited. And literally, I kid you not, it's like something slammed into my head and said, I said to Muye, why don't you write a chapter in a book? Could you do that? And he said, yes. So anyway, then, We finished our coffee and said our goodbyes, and I was driving home, and I thought, (laughs) now what? (laughs) You know, and I told my husband about it, (laughs) I said, I have no idea what to do. So anyway, the next morning, I woke up, and I actually, I'm not kidding either, I had this image that there was this bus in the driveway, and the bus had this, you know how buses have these destinations on them? and it said stories from newcomers. Well, I didn't know how to drive a bus, but anyway, I got in and took off. And my first destination was the University of the Fraser Valley. And I went to talk to Mary, who'd edited this book. And Mary was like, oh, that's a great idea. We need stuff like that, that cuts across xenophobic narratives and talks about people's settlement issues and really gets firsthand accounts. I said, okay, (laughs) but what do I do? Like, how can you help me? So anyway, she gave me a list of things she would help me with. And she said she'd be an advisor. And she said, you know what, Raymond, you have to go talk to Dr. Amia Wilber. Let me email her and I'll connect the two of you. I said, okay, I don't know who she is, but sounds good. So I went to see Amia and Amia jumped on this bus but she wanted to bring her friend. So she brought her friend, (laughs) Zahid. I didn't know (laughs) Zahid. So anyway, here we are.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much, Raymond, for telling me and sharing with us, with everybody who's tuning in, this story that really exemplifies what Canada does and what Canadians do. And this answers my question, why do we do this and how on earth do we dare to go against the influence of the United States? I mean, the United States was at the peak of its dictatorial project. And we were at the same time inviting 25,000 Syrians, like from the same country, that shit-hole country that is banned from America. Thank you. Thank you, Ramon, for your work.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, it's not just, it's not my work. I mean, like I said, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I had all these experts with me. And honestly, we took turns driving the bus, and now the bus is full. And we've got 17 riders from 12 countries, aged 20 to 56. You know what else is funny about this, Mohammed? I think to me, like, I don't think any of us knew that this bus was going to go this far. We hoped it would. And I don't think the writers, when they got on the bus either, thought that they would be writers. Some of them may have. But the thing is, these newcomers who got on the bus, they've now become powerful tellers of their own stories, even though they may not have thought of themselves as storytellers. And so this podcast, I think, is an amazing platform for them to tell their stories and to be heard.
2: Can I just mention something, Mohammed? I think you've brought up some really important pieces about Canada and the United States, but I think we can do better in Canada too. And when we hear those stories, um, you know, there's stories of racism, there's stories of discrimination, there's stories of belonging, like there's all these different stories. And I think that we have to, although we have done stuff here in Canada, there's more that we can do. And I think we really need to acknowledge that we do need to do more, that we need to address systemic racism, that we need to address uh, gender discrimination. And we can see that through listening to people's stories and reading people's stories that are not our own. You know, I'm a white woman and my story is very different than somebody who you know came here as a newcomer and has had to face certain kinds of things, and I think it's important. as Moon brought this up is for us to kind of to expand and to hear other people's stories and to to educate ourselves.
1: Exactly. Thank you so much.
3: Well, I just want to add to that too, Amy, because I think you raise a very important point and. My point about being in this classroom with this man from Sudan and not really being aware of what he brought into the classroom and the need for us as educators, particularly, and people who work with newcomers to sensitize ourselves and to be curious and not to make assumptions and to have an open mind and, you know, to, to work the way we call with trauma-informed practice, because we know that these people are now, at least I do, I know that these people are bringing a lot of trauma memories into my classroom, and how does that inform how I practice my teaching and learning?
1: Thank you, and I echo uh, Dr. Welber's words. We need more buses that are going to more destinations. We need a bus that goes to every Canadian issue, and speaking about the bus that's we are talking about today the bus that started with an idea that you dare i say spontaneously came up with without realizing what that entailed and the many stops on the way and what i like about the process and how this bus is working is that you didn't take sole ownership of the driver role you allowed others to drive and you put each individual who participated in the driver's seat and they were the owners of their stories and they've driven this bus each and every one of them had full ownership this podcast will bring a selection of these stories and in the upcoming next weeks i'm going to host um, a few of them Later on, we we will have this podcast, but we will also have more stories and an extended version of it in the books that we will hopefully have it published at some point. And in the next few minutes, I would like to ask Zahida to tell us about the way this bus works. What is the process like? Tell us all about it, please.
4: Sure, yeah, so I got on the bus when I was already moving, uh, invited by Amy or Dr. Wilbur, and after working in settlement for several years, and one thing, though, that's interesting, even though, as Raymond said, you know, there's, uh, there's a need for these stories because of the rising xenophobia or, Muhammad, as you said, with the populism, Amy was talking about a need for just more complex stories within the Canadian landscape, even when, even when media does cover newcomer stories. And so one thing that I've noticed from working in the settlement sector is that there often isn't actually funding for, you know, a a diverse voice of narratives and literary projects. A lot of settlement programs are funded based on utilitarian aims. So, you know, there's tons of employment projects and there's, you know, there's language classes and, and things like that. But when it comes to storytelling and creative writing, obviously are harder to fund, but they, there's such a need for these buses actually. And, and there's a deep interest on the part of newcomers, whether they came here recently and you know, are looking for community and, and for somebody to hear their story or whether they've been here for a long time. We have some writers we will hear on this podcast that have been here for many, many years and, and are now having a chance to kind of reflect back on what it means to be Canadian or a, an aspect of their story. So what we found in, in running this project is that there, there's so many newcomer writers out there that wanted to join. And as you said, Mohammed, I think it's also important, um, even though I think in recent years and especially since the Syrian resettlement of 2016, there's been more of, I think there has been more media coverage of of newcomer stories, but it's not always from their own voices or they're not always the authors of their own stories. So it was interesting to kind of say like, okay, these are the drivers, here are some tools. So while some of the writers that you'll hear on this project are exiled journalists, uh, I think we have an episode that's devoted, especially that features those writers. You know, there's others that came to Canada as, there's there's writers from all walks of life. So mothers, um, many different occupations, many people that are just, you know, have never really picked up a pen <laughs> and written their own story, but are doing it now. And so it was interesting though, because I think even though many people might not have a grounding in creative writing, from, from what I've been learning myself uh, as an emerging creative writer, is that often newcomer stories have all of the ingredients that make the best stories. they stories of challenge and triumph and family and reunification. All of the things that really make a story really a story that you really want to hear. So when, when we started kind of bringing the writers together, we had, we had one session before COVID hit where we kind of emphasized we introduced people to creative nonfiction, which is a style of moving your writing more from factual writing. So these are the events that happened in my life trying to illustrate them more poetically. So we kind of emphasize, you know, how to use the senses, how to zoom into details to make your story really specific. Amy had recommended that we look at the Vietnamese writer, Kim Thuy, who wrote a fiction book, but it was based off of her own experience coming in 1979 to Canada. So in class, we, we had read some of her words. And I remember really the writer's, when we brought that out and said here is a writer who came to canada in 1979 30 years later she wrote this piece of memoir fiction and in 2010 it won the governor general's award and i remember people's eyes lighting up because you know that could be them 30 years later who are just starting to put pen to paper so that representation was was really important and as we moved on in the process we also brought in real life authors so we had aslin hunter in who talked about writing through trauma. We had Ava Homa, who's a Kurdish-Canadian author who will be on the show next week. We had Carmen Aguirre, who talked about the importance of not necessarily needing to fulfill a certain a way of writing as a newcomer. So she talked about how a lot of newcomer stories perform gratitude to Canada, and that you hear often, you know, we came here without much and Canada gave us all of these things and we're very grateful. But Carmen is somebody who, as a writer, who has challenged a lot of that and has pointed out where Canada can still do better. And I think that was interesting to the writers because one writer even asked, can we still get published if we write, if we don't write in the narrative of performing gratitude to Canada? And she said, of course, you know, she's a writer who has spent her whole career pointing out how things can be improved. And, and she kind of pointed out how, in fact, it's kind of our duty as citizens to also point out where we can do better. So that's a little bit about the process. I think Amy and Ramon might also be able to talk about more aspects that I've missed. Thank you,
1: Zahida. Uh, it's really interesting to learn about the ins and outs and the details of the process. And it's really important to talk again about how it's important to offer participants of a certain project an opportunity to lead, an opportunity to be in the driver's seat. So the bus does not go to where some government employee thinks the bus would go. Rather, the people on the bus who are most affected by it are the people who are supposed to be in the driver's seat. Thank you so much. At the end, I'd like to thank all of you, Dr. Emia Wilbur, Ramon Tickner, and Zahida Rahimtullah. Thank you so much for. Talking to us today about how did these stories come to life and in the next few weeks, we are going to listen firsthand accounts from the writers themselves. A selection of the stories will be here with us in the podcast, but more stories will come in the book in the future. This is Mohamed Saleh, and you have been listening to the first episode of the podcast, Geographies of the Heart. If you'd like to support the funding campaign for the book which this podcast came from, we will include the campaign's link in the episode's description. This podcast was recorded over Zoom on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam, Salo and Siquamish nations. Thank you.